Live from the center of the earth, girth. Yo, and welcome to my summer lair. I have two special guests. Uh, we get to talk about vampires. And, uh, <laughs> so this is kind of a nice treat. Introduce yourselves and list three or five, either vampire or zombie movies, your favorites. Oh my gosh, I know three or five is hard. It's a hard question right off the bat. Can I go first? Because you know way more than I Sure, do. sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm Tanya Dodds. I'm the producer of Red Spring. Just movies or can it be just vampire like properties i'll give you properties okay buffy the vampire slayer yeah that counts yeah that was a movie and a tv show this is true, true enough. but then i'm also going to do angel which is just a tv show correct um what else uh bram stoker's dracula uh what else about 30 days of night yeah i'm at four i have to do one more one more vampire oh twilight <laughs> the spark- with a sneer <laughs> the sparkly vampire that's what you want with this came to my mind first <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll let that go for now and you sir uh, hey i'm jeff sinisak a writer and director of red spring um you stole most of the vampire ones although i will point out that buffy and angel are not just tv shows they are also board games they are also video games they are also novels comic books oh, comic books off. there you go um <laughs> but i'll go to the zombie genre because you didn't cover it although i'll start with one vampire last man on earth with vincent price very obscure old vampire flick mm-hmm. um night of the living dead dawn of the dead day of the dead uh land of the dead <laughs> <laughs> that was easy that was easy <laughs> all right we're done now thanks for coming in Thank you. you can see uh, red spring and blood in the snow <laughs> that's it that's it Congratulations, by the way. Uh, the screening for Red Spring at the Blood in the Snow Film Festival is uh, almost sold out or close to getting sold out? or It's very full. Mm-hmm. Very full. Yeah. That's awesome. Way to go. Thank you. Um, and this is your, for you, Jeff, this is your directorial debut. It is indeed, yeah. How was this experience making uh, a vampire movie <laughs> as your first one out the gate? Eye-opening. Um <laughs> It's ironic you're doing an apocalyptic film as as the first uh, as the first film because sometimes it feels like you're in the midst of that same level of chaos as you're as you're going along. Honestly, I was uh, I was figuring out my job description as we went, um, so that was uh, that's the eye opening part. Was uh, there was there were a lot of surprises en route, but learned a lot and had a lot of fun, and I think we we managed to despite that fact put together a really solid vampire film. So I'm quite pleased with it. We've touched upon the fact that it's a vampire film. You mentioned the apocalypse. Kind of just break down a little bit more of what Red Spring is and what's kind of happening. Red Spring is a post-apocalyptic thriller. Uh, it takes place in a world after vampires have banded together to make an actual military push to conquer the planet and uh, have lost control of their own invasion of the planet. So they are now everywhere uh, chaotically filling every corner of the world and the last few humans scattered about the earth are all in hiding or on the run and it's a story of six of those survivors trying to find their loved ones and trying to uh, deal with their grief and loss and trying to survive in a world where every single time the sun goes down they are very forcefully hunted you people as as individuals not as characters but as individuals do you guys think you could survive either a zombie apocalypse or a vampire apocalypse <laughs> Because there's different rules to survive (laughs) both of them. Of course. Um, So I will say that we do have a zombie apocalypse plan. Who doesn't? Um, Everyone has a zombie apocalypse plan. (laughs) I I feel like if you don't, you're not prepared for anything. Um, I don't know. Do we? We don't have really a vampire plan, though. That's true. We don't really discuss. I mean, obviously, don't go outside at night. That's that's job one. Rule number one. The problem with vampires, at least in the Red Spring world, is they're a lot more – they're a lot smarter. They still have human intelligence. So it's a – you can't simply say I'm going to hole up in a jail a la Walking Dead because they'll just come in and 
craft a key and open the lock and come on in. Um, but what, whether we could survive or not, I don't know. We do have plans in place. I spent four years in the infantry, so I'd be a crack shot, but that would also do no good against a vampire. So, yeah, give me zombies any day. Yeah. Okay, you zombies can survive. Yeah, so then vampires, you guys would just go quickly. You'd be yeah. like first wave, just gone. We'd volunteer. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, eh? All right. <laughs> that's honest. <laughs> did that kind of, the, that background, did that kind of inform some of the writing for Red Spring? And kind of like, because yeah. there was Mitchell, I think, that's his name, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I called on a lot of my my past knowledge. One of the characters is a soldier, um, so he speaks a lot with the the voice I knew when I was in the army. We were also really lucky. Uh, our our actual actor who played the vampire leader, Andre Guantanamo. I mean, I was in the army twenty years ago. He was in it much more recent. He served in Afghanistan, I think. Um, so anytime I needed to know about you know how things have changed, and they have certainly changed in the last twenty years, uh, he was our go to guy. So we had him on on set at all times too keep us on the straight and narrow in, in terms of you mentioned like uh the vampires you couldn't just hold up on a jail because then the vampires would kind of find you and you kind of mentioned this too on your indiegogo campaign you want to make this a little bit more different than a traditional zombie kind of vampire mm-hmm. can you kind of elaborate on the process and how you kind of came to the vampires that you came to in truth i i actually started with the zombie premise um i, I began writing a, a zombie apocalypse novel in 2003 uh, because back then, although there were tons of zombie apocalypse movies, there were no, there was no real literature. Now there's a ton. But a director I wanted to work with asked me if I had an action horror film. And although I had plenty of horror, I didn't have action horror. So I just scrapped the novel entirely and started writing the film. But there were so many zombie films. Uh, so it occurred to me it might be more useful to make them vampires. Now in that novel, I'd also started with the premise of what if zombies retained human intelligence. So it was also a, uh, an easier leap. But that's how we got to, got to vampires. They also had a really distinctive look with the kind of the Alice Cooper type black eyeshadow yeah. eyes. Mm-hmm. Was that again kind of an experiment trying to look at what the film literature was kind of out there in terms of images and then trying to do something different or were you kind of inspired by something? Jeff has always uh, talked about a very specific look for the vampires. Um, I don't know if it was specifically inspired by something, but there was definitely an image in his head of, of yeah, those really dark circles, um, obviously very pale because you don't have blood circulation when you're the undead. Um, and, that lack of sunshine too. You know, yeah. that whole thing. You, just, yeah. you, you don't get a tan. So that was something we were really trying to capture is that image that he had in his head. I, I feel like when, even when we first started speaking about the movie... That yeah, we wanted, wanted we wanted something something amiss with the eyes because if you, if everyone makes something monstrous, especially something that is human and humanoid, uh, the eyes are a great place to start because that's the window to the soul. You mess with the eyes, you've instantly got a monster. So it was drawing attention to the eyes was a was was part of the plan. Mm-hmm. And we purposely wanted to stay away from sort of the the Whedon esque vampire where they get like the weird ridges and and all that stuff. They we wanted them to to look human, but not if that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it was Stephen King. Uh, one of his sons, I can't remember which one it was, but he wanted to write a vampire story and he kind of came to his dad and he was like, you know, Stephen King is his dad. So it's like, how do you kill a vampire? And Stephen King's <laughs> response was, it's up to you. Right. And it's just the idea of like, you can do anything you want. Like there are technically rules and you guys kind of obeyed some of the rules in terms of like the wooden stake and mm-hmm. things like that with the vampires. But you are free to kind of like bailed on it and make your vampires sparkly or not sparkly <laughs> you should never make them sparkly never yeah sparkly. i kind of agree with you i think that's the <laughs> general sparkle. rule uh but yeah and you have some freedom within that genre and i mean that was kind of neat with the vampires you have right because they kind of operate uh a little bit zombie-ish in terms of that herd mentality and mm-hmm. stuff and like even the opening scene when they're driving around the van it's like i see two of them i see you know what i mean yeah. you're like oh snap get out get out get out <laughs> we wanted to um 
the basic idea there, again, if I can come back to the idea of the military push, is you have a group who have for you know centuries or millennium turned you know the odd person into a vampire, and there you got one recruit. But when you suddenly say, I'm going to go out tonight and make 25, and then you lose control because those 25 go out and make 25 each the next night, all these vampires are waking up not knowing what they are or what they're supposed to do, just knowing they're hungry. So as opposed to the initial older ones who have learned and been mentored as to how to properly spring an ambush, how to not attract attention to yourself if that's what you want to do, most of the vampires on the planet now are basically like the world's worst heroin addicts. They see blood (laughs) and it's just charge. But they still can think. They would know how to drive a car. It just wouldn't occur to them to drive a car because they smell blood and charge. Yeah, it kind of takes over like a shark instinct almost. Yes, yes, yes. That makes sense. What kind of direction did you give the actors in terms of like uh, being a vampire? Did you give them a lot of direction or was there certain cues or certain things that you wanted them to do? Or Sure, sure, sure. Um, so we did uh, some of that. Um, we we tried to make sure that people knew that like, they're not zombies. <laughs> um, so they're not stumbling around. They're not going to, um, that they are focused on on getting humans. So there was a little bit of like, you know, think more of like you're hunting, like you're you're a big cat, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. like, a, like a panther or a, or a jaguar. Um, was with some of the directions we gave them um, and had them practice a little bit. Our initial, the, literally the very initial day was just uh, show me what you got, try your own thing. But we got such a diverse array of approaches from zombie and Frankenstein to, to panther and cats. We had to sort of consolidate and be like, you know, mm-hmm. let's go to the latter direction. Was it fun also setting a horror a post-apocalyptic movie in Toronto? Because you actually reference. Like Barry, you mentioned like actual mm. locations and you clearly see that it's Toronto. You're driving away from the CN Tower. And that too is intentional. I, every every apocalypse movie out there seems to take place in the States and, and God bless the States. If there's an apocalypse, it will be in the States as well. <laughs> but it will also be in Canada. And I, and I, I find it, uh, I guess, frustrating that everything seems to take place south of the border. There was a point at which the script was optioned and the, the command I was given from those people on high was rewrite everything to be in the States. And I did at that point. But when the uh, when the rights came back to us, I was like, "No, nah, this is Canada, man." Are they just worried that the people won't know what a Toronto is? Exactly. Or we actually showed it to some LA friends when we were down there, an early draft, maybe a year ago. And although they loved it, they like, "I have no idea what you're talking. About. What the hell's Barry?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was that to me was kind of neat because as somebody from Toronto, like like you said, we never get like we never get the big meteorite, we never mm. get like World War Z, yeah, like and it's World War Z, which means Canada was also involved. Yeah, we should have got totally crushed, yeah. right? So it's well, like even Independence Day, did, there was no mention of no. The French Canada, kicked a little ass, yeah, but we didn't. We didn't. No. No. <laughs> Actually, I think at the end of World War Z, didn't they end up in Nova Scotia? They did. Or? That was the safe okay. zone. They yeah. Ended, yeah. They ended, we were the safe zone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> represent. <laughs> I guess this is part of being an independent filmmaker too because this was the challenge right to shoot all especially some of the Toronto scenes and stuff like that was there like a lot of compromise you had to make in terms of like yes and no uh, compromises the biggest compromise we make to answer that question about shooting in Toronto is we didn't shoot in Toronto um, despite the fact that a lot of it takes place in Toronto you can actively see Toronto we didn't shoot in Toronto um, we Lies. shot Nah, um, <laughs> like our van, the the central vehicle that the characters use, uh, we rented, and it was an older van. Mm-hmm. And we were given a, it was told we were told that don't take it over seventy kilometers an hour because it'll fall apart. Do not put it on the highway. So the van couldn't come to Toronto. Now we have the van showing up in Toronto a lot, but that was all post uh, CG work. So a lot of uh, a lot of computer graphics to to bring Toronto to life. Nice. And how did you two guys meet? You guys worked on another show <laughs> before. Why are you laughing? That's kind of a cool story because it was another show before. 
Um, so, Give yeah. us a dirt. So uh, we met almost 10 years ago now, I guess. Something like that. And it was a short film. Uh, Jeff was already cast as the male lead, and I came in to audition uh, for the female lead. And he's going to dispute this, but this is 100% true. <laughs> um, I got into the audition, and uh, we started reading the parts with the director there. And he didn't know any of his lines. <laughs> Lies. See, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I remember literally taking my script that I had worked really hard to prepare, FYI, um, and just like slowly folding it up and just sticking it in my back pocket and be like, I guess we're improvising. You got the part. Don't cry. I did get the part. It's yeah. true. <laughs> I, and, and my side idea was that they, I think they changed the lines before she got there, I think, or something. Wait, I don't That sounds, I don't recall. That sounds a bit fishy, doesn't right? it? All yeah. I know is I, I was, as she said, cast already and they offered me a chance to come in and help cast the female lead and i was single so i was like hells yeah i'll come in and help cast a female lead and she walked in and i'm like that's the, that's the female lead all right she also I authentically also did the best well. she did the best audition I'm not, but well I'm she also. had the lines memorized that's, that's true, true. Yeah, unlike some people me, I, guess, yeah. I came prepared to do my job all right and you guys have been working ever since on different projects together on a lot of them yeah we've, we've certainly done uh, probably i don't know 15 a lot 15 ish short films together yeah for, for a while anytime they needed like a couple yeah we would get the phone call being like hey we're like sure we can just bring the romance to the right yeah, here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. does having that shorthand kind of help especially when there's like you said jeff a lot of like pressures and tension kind of getting this indie film off the for ground sure. yeah for sure it's great to have somebody who knows what you're going through and, and somebody who can empathize and certainly that happened a lot on the set i was admittedly quite stressed and uh, it was always a relief at end of day to return to base camp and find uh, someone who's not just a producer, but somebody I care very much about waiting. So that was great. That's nice. And it does help too, like obviously like in terms of like just be like doing business, right? Like it's, we don't have to have a massive conference call with a kajillion different people and be like, Hey, mm -hmm. what if, what if we did this? Hmm. Okay, good idea. And you're done. Like, yeah, you just yell down the hall, basically. Yeah. <laughs> in post, too, it served because it was an extra set of eyes whenever I was working on visual effects or something. She wasn't always the most diplomatic. I would work for eight hours on a shot. She'd come home, take one look, and say, that looks like shit, and walk out. And I was like, all right, back to square one. But yeah. she was always right. So it was it was good to have uh, that extra set of eyes, for sure. Yeah, that's the problem with sometimes feedback gets a little too honest. It's like <laughs> just a little bit of feedback. Not that how much honesty. <laughs> looks like shit, and you didn't cook dinner. Slam. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> I, I promise to be better with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, see, you're working it through. And in terms of, uh, you mentioned the business, Tanya. Like, you guys also did raise some funds uh, through Indiegogo, and I touched upon that earlier. How was that experience? What was that like? Because that's a really cool resource that filmmakers have now to kind of get a, like get the last little bit of money together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. It. it it takes a lot of work to run any Indiegogo campaign or a crowdfunding campaign. To do a successful one is pretty much a full-time job. And so anyone who's considering doing it, make sure you have a team of people. So we had a lot of people who were helping us, like doing like social media shoutouts, because um, that was the only way we could do it. It takes a lot of prep work. Like I want to say that we prepped our Indiegogo campaign for what, four months? Quite a while, yeah. For a while before we released it to get everything the way we wanted it to, uh, to look and to sound and, and all that we stuff. spent weeks doing the visual effects for it. We didn't want to just be one of those talking head pieces. We wanted to really, if you're going to do a show that is visual effects heavy, then you better showcase those visual effects in the Indiegogo campaign video as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. And you guys were successful. You met your goal and you raised over 10000 right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's well done. Like, yeah. And it is like a great resource, like I was saying, like now for like indie filmmakers. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things you sort of have to like we had a lot of discussion like what we wanted that final number to be like what did we want to ask for knowing that the film itself was probably going to cost more than that but that was a discussion that we had again as a as a business conversation of of like okay so what like how much do we want to go go to be of that final number and then it ended up being almost double what we asked for is almost what we what we got so we mm-hmm. we set we set the bar intentionally low to make sure that it was at least a starting point that we could build on mm-hmm. it went further than we thought yeah. jeff you mentioned that you had initially sold the rights for red spring is there again this is going back to the whole thing of like shooting in Toronto and being in Toronto is there kind of um, is there a lot of outlets for a Toronto filmmaker these days in terms of like raising money and connecting and getting that kind of resources or is it still a bit of a struggle I I it's certainly a struggle. I mean, I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask because my experience is, is in that department is fairly limited to to the, really this film. I can say that over the years it was optioned a couple of times, and and you know, one time came very close to being made at a massive, massive level, but it's never final till it's final. So that eventually dissipated, and you're back to square one. Until it, you know, 12 years after I wrote it, we ended up finally shooting it in basically the way I had intended to shoot it 12 years prior, and then we had gotten sidetracked by all these offers. So. Sometimes uh, the the basic methodology of going directly for it and funding it, you know, yourself and in conjunction with things like Indiegogo, is the is the easier method to take. And it is playing at uh, the Blood in the Snow Canadian Film Festival, so that's that's awesome. That's way to go. It's one of our cooler film festivals. Uh, you guys have been participating before in uh, Blood in the Snow, is that correct? Yeah, I've had a few films run there. Yeah. Um, Sublet was the most. Sublet was. Um, I think one more for the road. A short film might have played there as well. Yeah, uh, it's a great festival. I've been. I've been. I think pretty much every year since its inception. Mm-hmm. And in terms of uh, Red Spring, uh, you mentioned as well that there's like a lot of the. When I asked you off the top, and I made it awkward about uh, this very zombie uh, vampire movies, and you mentioned that there's all kinds of properties for these board games and video games and comic books and stuff. Is there any plans to do anything with Red Spring with this world? Uh, why are you laughing? Because it's like <laughs> it's exciting. You could do all kinds of stuff, <laughs> this and it's is true. and there's a, it's a little open ended too. You don't really know quite how it ends. Um, I mean, the the film itself is the first in a trilogy, so the story itself does continue. I mean, we haven't really talked about merchandising opportunities. I do program video games as a hobby, but uh, <laughs> but a Red Spring video game for the mass market might be a little someone else could little, yeah, a little beyond my my means right but now. We play a lot of board games. It would be a fun board game. Right. I do. I made a zombie board game called The Zombie Nightmare of Philibri County, which you can also download as a video game, incidentally, <laughs> if you Google it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, I think uh, with with any property, especially if people enjoy it, there's obviously opportunities to to expand that universe, whether it be through through comics or through merchandising. Um, obviously, we want to be able to finish the story, so there are there are two more films that follow this one. And how far along are those are like are they kind of plotted out or written or sketched out? Or the second one, I've gotten about half written. It was my intention to actually have it done long before now. Um, I uh, I did so much work on the post with this film. Uh, sitting at a computer that I eventually actually injured myself, uh, <laughs> like a repetitive stress injury. So oh, I had dear. to step back from the computer for a long while. So it's it's taken me a while to get back to uh, a keyboard, but it feels like things are finally uh, uh, sorting themselves out. So hopefully I can get back to it in the next, uh, well, maybe next week after we're done the festival. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that works out. Yeah. And so Red Spring is playing at the Blood in the Snow uh, Canadian Film Festival, and that's running from November 23 to 26 at the Royal Cinema. And uh, people can just like uh, you have a Twitter account, I think, for the mm-hmm. film. Yeah, so we're at Red Spring Film, um, and Blood in the Snow is Bits Film Fest. Yes, Bits Film Fest. <laughs> Smooth. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. 
thank you, Jeff and uh, Tanya, for coming in and talking about apocalyptic vampires. A couple of vampires that sparkle here and there. <laughs> and uh, sparkle. I know they shouldn't sparkle. Shouldn't sparkle. I know. It's bad. You only did the one Twilight movie, or you done all? I think there's three of them, right? I stopped after the first one. <laughs> okay, I didn't even make it to the end of the first one. So. I did read the books, however. They're oh, how are the books? Terrible, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, good thing we're in a bar now, so I can get you a drink, yeah, and then exactly. maybe that could soothe the pain a little bit. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for coming in and uh, talking about Red Spring, and congratulations. It's like uh, almost sold out at uh, Blood in the Snow, which is awesome. So hopefully it will sell out uh, by the time this goes, and uh, people who have a craving or a lust for vampires <laughs> should definitely go check this out. It is a lot of fun. And uh, I was intrigued to see how people were going to survive and try and like what kind of ways they're going to outwit the vampires. And uh, of course, because it's a vampire movie, not everyone's going to make it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. But thank you guys for coming in. That was thank fun. You. Thank you.